0: We talk about books a lot on this podcast, but we appreciate that our listeners might not have time to read them all. So how do you know which one to pick? Well, the Space
1: Hipsters annual book prize might be a great place to start. So we're joined today by Lois Honeycutt and John Wizenhunt, who coordinate the prize to learn more about how the prize gets chosen and what books you might want to put on your Christmas list this year
0: thanks to those who got in touch about our new format if anyone else has an opinion please let us know get in touch with our social media pages at space and things one on Twitter and at space and things podcast on Instagram and Facebook or via the contact form on our website
1: or leave us a review on your favorite podcast app but right now enjoy episode 116 of the space and things podcast oh my God.
0: Space
1: and Things with Dave Giles and Emily Carney. I'm Emily Carney. And I'm Dave Giles. And welcome to episode 116 of the Space and Things podcast. How are you doing, Emily?
0: I'm doing great. A little tired, but I'm really excited. Tonight is supposed to be, take three, It's supposed to be the night that Artemis launches. So I'm, I'm hoping I'm. it's kind of yucky out here but i'm hoping the cloud cover will go away by around 1 a.m and i'm hoping i can see it from where i'm at so i'm very excited
1: yeah as we record this we are six hours away from the planned launch of artemis 1 six hours away so uh, yeah. if it's launched or if it hasn't launched by the time this is out that this is all null and void but right now there's that nervous excitement right
0: yes i'm i'm excited at the same time i'm a little terrified just because i'm like this is a new rocket never launched before so yeah we really i really do not know what to expect i hope i get to see it from here because i, I want to see that thing go so we'll, yeah we will see i want to see yeah. how it acts
1: Okay, so let's get stuck into our main feature. I'm sure many of our listeners are aware of Space Hipsters. But for those of you who might be wondering, it's a Facebook group, which Emily founded way back in 2011 and now has nearly 34,000 members. As a member myself, I can safely say that it's one of my favourite places on the internet. It's got an incredible team of moderators who do a great job in making sure that the group celebrates all things spaceflight, and that it's used by members to spread knowledge and experience rather than be a place for politics and arguments. You've got engineers, authors, astronauts, historians, all those kind of people in the group, and all of them seem happy to answer questions no matter how obscure or trivial they may seem. And there are various events that go on throughout the year where you can get to know people either virtually or in real life. When I took my big Air and Space Museum trip in 2019, letting the group know what I was doing meant I was able to meet some incredible people and make some great friends. So if you're on Facebook, make sure you join.
0: A few years back, the Space Hipsters Book Prize was started and today we're going to be talking to two of the people who run it. Lois Honeycutt is someone who all space hipsters will be aware of. She has been an administrator for the community since 2012 and organizes most of its outreach events. In her other life, she is a professor of medieval European history at the University of Missouri specializing in questions of women in power. John Wisenhunt is a lifelong space enthusiast and a retired U.S. Air Force officer. He is an information technology consultant and a volunteer astronomy and space science educator. Let's find out more about the Space Hipsters Book Prize.
1: All right, you are go for TLI, over.
2: right, you understand, we're go for TLI.
1: Welcome, Lois and John. Thank you so much for joining us today to talk about the book prize. So, I'll let you decide who's going to answer this, but when did the prize first start? And how was that first prize decided?
3: It started with an idea in 2016. And um, as most people in space pictures know, I'm a historian. I mean, that's my day job, academic historian. And I have served on innumerable book prize committees and even shared a few over the course of my career. And it struck me as I was sort of finishing out my last term um, on a a pretty prestigious prize that, um, you know, we have a lot of authors in space hipsters, a lot of really good books. And we spent a lot of time, even back in 2016, talking about books. And I was sort of, you know, giving out these prizes every year for various historical categories and things like this, serving on these committees, thinking, why isn't there a prize for space books or, you know, things like that? Well, it turns out there is one. There is one other prize that I know of besides ours, but it's just one and it's a huge field. And I really thought that if we could start some kind of recognition process, and I was thinking mostly for hipster authors when we started out, but it grew very quickly to include, you know, the entire field. Um, and, you know, people were nominating. So that was 2016. It took until 2017, um, actually until 2018, our first prize was given out for books in 2018 for books written in 2017. So, you know, we, we given out uh, for the previous year. I think, forgot how many judges we had that year. It might have been 11. Um, We didn't know what to expect. We didn't know what was going to happen, but we had 17 nominees. And the process has been refined over the years. And I think it's been made better every year as we've been working on it. But it was basically the same thing we were doing then that we do now. And that is, you know, recruit a team of well-qualified judges. We try to have uh, about half of them be people who've actually produce books in the field themselves and kind of know what it means to go through that process and what authors are up against when they start a process and deal with publishers and things, uh, what's in an author's control and what's not in an author's control, things like that. And then we recruited a lot of people who are, In the space exploration field, and we mean you know journalists, museum professionals, educators, all kinds of members of the educated public, I guess uh, we we would say, or the reading public, and have a balance there. I think, as I said, that we had eleven judges, and we just kind of assigned them books randomly, and kind of came to a conclusion. And the first book that won our prize was Scott Kelly's Endurance.
0: So let's talk about the previous book prize winners. You know what's won the prize throughout the years, and you know, can you talk about any maybe surprises or exciting moments during those times?
2: They've all been memorable, certainly. It's, uh, as Lois will tell you, uh, as as uh, as she said, a space enthusiast, whether you're professional or just a lifelong uh, fan of, of uh, these types of works, everyone's got a passion. And when you start talking about uh, anything that you love, people get... Uh, I wouldn't say fired up, but they certainly have their passions come out when when the reviews are being written and when the discussions are happening. So, and with so many different backgrounds, I think the you know the the diversity of backgrounds is is tremendous in this, and that's what's been a lot of fun. But the diversity in winners has also been kind of interesting. You know, Jonathan Ward, for instance, is someone who uh, very well known around the space hipster community and certainly around the, the space writers community very affable guy, you know, great guy to talk to, kind of a polymorph, you know, he's into a little bit of everything. You know, just having someone who, who you know and hang out with and then look at their work and realize, wow, you know, this is this is really terrific. I, I wouldn't say it was a surprise necessarily, but um, it, it certainly showed that there's someone strongly within the existing community who can really generate some wonderful writing. And, uh, you know, in this case, it was, you um, Oh, Lois, help me with the title, please. It was the uh, Bringing Columbia Home, is that correct?
3: Yeah, Bringing Columbia Home, and he, he co-wrote that with Mike Leinbach, and that was the winner of our second book prize.
2: I mean, just from a personal note, you know, that I, that I currently live in Texas. That was uh, where the, you know, the disaster, of course, occurred, uh, you know, Columbia being uh, um, tragically spread out over a great deal of the state, and so uh, that was very touching. I'll mention one more real quick that's uh, kind of completely the other side. Uh, Samantha Cristoforetti, uh, European Space Agency astronaut, won. Was that for twenty or twenty-one?
3: It was twenty-one. Yeah.
2: yeah. And uh, so again, you know, here we had somebody who is a professional space traveler, and uh, you know, as as this uh, as this is going out, I mean, you know, she just came back uh, some weeks ago from her second trip to the space station. First trip as as commander, and so uh, certainly it was a delight for uh, for us to award an astronaut. Uh, A book prize. So, uh, yes, many, many memorable situations over the years. Mm
3: -hmm. That one was a fun one uh, that year because there were a number of astronaut biographies and autobiographies that year. And it was almost the year of the biography. I mean, it just (laughs) seemed like about half of the books that were nominated that year were biographies. And I don't judge books, I am the coordinator and I collect book titles and book nominations. And I contact publishers to get copies and I make sure that readers get their copies and I make sure that people are reimbursed for their expenses and, you know, do a lot of that kind of stuff. But I don't actually judge the books, but I read a lot of the books. And I particularly um, surprised, I mean, and happy when a book will emerge that, you know, I'll get a, we'll get a list of 20 books and there's that kind of sense that you know, I can kind of guess which two or three are going to be at the top. I guess, uh, honestly, bringing Columbia home, I I knew within the first month that that was going to be a really strong contender um, for the book prize. And um, the next year was Mel Croft and John Yuskowskis' uh, uh, book about the payload specialist, the one that came out with Nebraska. And that one was a complete surprise. I mean, that one was one of those books that, oh, a book about payload specialists. That's going to be cool. Um <laughs> You know, and, and yet we were able to, I was kind of watching from above and seeing it sort of rise sort of slowly and steadily through the rankings uh, to the point that I thought, I'm going to read this book. I mean, you know, it wasn't one that was on my list to read. It was wonderful. Samantha's book, too. I had not read it because we had so many uh, shuttle-era astronaut biographies, and I just hadn't picked up that one as going to be one. It was also kind of the year of the woman that year, we had a lot of books that were written by women and there were you know different biographies and things like that. So I wasn't surprised necessarily because I'll tell you one of our criteria is that we look at is the originality of the book. And is this a story that we have heard before, maybe told in a compelling new way, or is this adding something that we really don't know? Is this some angle that no one else has taken? So there's a sort of originality and contribution. And I think that an astronaut writing his or her own story well, or a mission controller, you know, or somebody somebody in the field writing his or her story well, they're going to get a few extra points for that originality and um, new story because nobody else can tell their story except themselves. Telling it well is an art that, you know, not, I mean, not all of the autobiographies are equal, right? Um, and so, you know, when you get a really outstanding one, um, and we can all name our favourites, right? We could just go around the room right now and I bet that, uh, you know, we would all pick the same two or three books as our favourite uh, biographies or autobiographies. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think Samantha's, you know, book came out that way.
1: Interesting. So there's only one book, that, that one winner that we haven't named and that's this year's prize. Assuming I've got this right, we've got 20, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, but we haven't mentioned this year's mm-hmm. one, uh, which yeah. is... Uh, It's not an announcement because it's already been announced, but maybe people listening to the podcast don't know. It was Beyond by Stephen Walker.
0: Yes, who we've had on our show a few times.
1: Ah, we love (laughs) Stephen Walker. We think he's such a great storyteller. And what's interesting, when you look at the other titles that won, and he's this is the first time in the five prizes where it's actually gone to a book telling the old history you know, we've right. not had anything from that era yet win a prize. Um, why? Why do you think his one did well compared to uh, some of the more modern books that are coming out?
2: I think it was just because he is such a delightful author. You know, being a, I, I, one of the things when we were awarding the prize, uh, we brought up in the discussion was, of course, his work as a filmmaker and uh, and he he the way he crafts the book is like he's doing. You know, the the historical characters, of the actors. And these are film scenes, these chapters in the book, and so I think it was this uh, this rich style and imagery that he generated in, in his work that that really touched a lot of people. But it, but you hit on something uh, that you know Lois said earlier about give me the stories I haven't heard, or maybe I haven't heard the whole story. You know, it's a very popular genre on uh, you know give me the rest of the story. And so in that case, I think he his, his deep research. You know, I think some translated Russian things that had sort of been socked away. Um, And of course, a lot of us had heard him on your podcast. And so it was like, wow, this guy's terrific. And I think people just, you know, responded to his craft being so darn good.
3: This year, you know, we always say, oh, you know, you give a prize and you say it was a difficult choice. And there were a lot of great books and things like this. But I mean, I think this year we had not only really strong, really good books, but we had really strong, really good books in a variety of genres a lot of times I can just tell you which two or three books are going to win. And this year I was really sitting back looking and thinking like there's six books here. Any one of which is worthy of the prize. I wonder what the judges are going to do, Uh, you know, how that's going to come about. And, you know, John was right. People do tend to get very passionate about a book that they have read. Um, There's this thing called the leveling bias. And that means that, that a lot of times people who have a lot of choices They'll pick the first choice that's really good and really compelling. And it's the book you read and you really like. And that book, if you read it early on, every other book has to measure up to it, right? Mm. And so we had judges with strong feelings about a book that they had read early on that we're really not going to give it up. But it was amazing to me that as that book began to, you know, emerge as as one or two, you know, we we had a book, Eric Berger's book, the SpaceX book went pretty high um, before it was eliminated. And there were people who were very strongly in favor of that book, right? And uh, Bruce McAllis's book, you know, was a very strong favorite. Francis French and Al Worden's book, my goodness, what a sentimental favorite, right? And it was so well done besides being a, you know, a sentimental favorite. And we could just go on and on about how many great books that we had. But it was interesting to me that as people who had their strong feelings about whatever book, then read beyond because they knew that that was the book, it became the book that people were going to, you know, going to have to read and going to have to vote on. You know, so many people said, wow, wow, you know, like, okay, you know, like, I still like my book, but if this one wins, I'll be okay. Um, (laughs) And then I think that when we did the final vote, John, did we Get unanimity or were there one or two? Ha- well, it
2: was very close to unanimous. It, but it was, I unanimous. think,
3: about 90%. Yeah. About 90%. Okay. So, you know, when we did one year, I was literally, and this was before John joined as the, um, the co-coordinator, uh, the last year before John did as a co-coordinator, we were literally, I was literally waiting for the last judge to contact me before I knew who won. Wow. We had ended up with 13 judges that year and I was sitting there looking at six and six. you know not knowing which book was gonna which book was gonna win until about five minutes before the deadline
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's crazy yeah which does lead me on to the question about how this all gets judged how do the books get nominated and how they then judge is it teams what happens How, how does it work
2: so, yeah Lois actually started out uh, and, and again Lois jump at any time but you know just uh, contacting the authors and the publishing houses we're really really fortunate like 20 2019 of course because of the anniversary of Apollo 11 50th anniversary events you got a huge upsurge in space publishing just based around that but not you know not about just you know a huge historic event but all sorts of things um, really started to grow I think I th- think Lois would agree that was about the time that they started you know then the publishers uh, particularly in the past two years have really gotten uh, have become a prize. you know it's something that an author of course now can tout that you know hey look, here's another uh, another recognition I've gotten. And so uh, publishers now are we're avalanching Lois with uh, with nominations. and so that's been uh, quite delightful you know when, when you've got uh, more goodness than you can handle. but um, same thing with you know recruiting people to uh, uh, to become part of the effort as, as you know as we've said, earlier you've got a huge community of of professionals uh authors enthusiasts scientists i mean all sorts of people to draw from and the good news is most of them like to read anyway Mm -hmm. and so lois generally privately uh to you know preserve people's anonymity because of course a lot of people in the business who are involved will just say you know hey would you be interested and so i think the recruitment has been uh although Lois would probably tell you it's been difficult at times because people are, are busy and a lot of things going on in the world but uh And then I'll just, I'll hit real quick here, uh, how is the judging done? Uh, Very simply, and and Lois, we sort of codified some of the things Lois mentioned earlier. We said, you know, is this something new? Is this something we've not seen? Are you taking a fresh look at a historic series of incidents? Did it touch you personally? Is this something that you found an easy read? Did you find it challenging? Did you find it some combination of of those? You know, is it a a well-done book? Is it factual? Because we've got so many pedantic nerds in this community, you know, if you spot something apocryphal, you go, "Well, oh, 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 no, the Saturn V did not have that." But you know, people people tend to catch the uh, the little blips here and there, and so we just uh, we we basically, you know, kind of Lois has a, a lovely kind of in process where gives the judges what we'd like you to do if you're up for that, and then we sort of put together a little rubric and say, "Well, these are the things we'd like you to think about," uh, and then we ask people to write a review and we start a discussion.
3: When we started out, and we still do this, I hit a lot of the space communities and space bulletin boards and Facebook groups where space nerds hang out um, and authors hang out. So, you know, uh, uh, when we are accepting nominations, which will uh, open for 2023 on the 15th. So, just a few days from when this podcast goes out, I guess. I hit all those places and just say, we're accepting nominations, and this is how you nominate a book, and this is, you know, what the categories are. We accept books in astronomy, uh, space exploration and space history. Um, We've had some really, you know, a a strong favorite. I think the runner up one year, for instance, was um, Alan Stern and uh, David Grinspoon's Chasing New Horizons, right? Planetary science is something, when we defined the categories, we we sort of thought about what do we talk about in space hipsters? What are the kinds of things that excite the community? Because the, the book prize was, you know, initially for the community, And it really was planetary science, exploration, all this stuff, you know, the Mars rovers going up and down and the the New Horizons mission, Cassini, all those things people want to hear about. So astronomy, space exploration, and then um, space history. I started out sending notices to just a couple of publishers. But over the years, as we started to get in different books, you know, we noticed that you know, a lot of really good books were coming from certain publishers. And so then the next year I would reach out to them and, you know, and do that. And as John said, now we have publishers contacting us saying, you know, are you accepting nominations yet? Or one year, um, one university press just nominated their entire um, aviation list. <laughs> you know, that was the year we had 27 nominees. <laughs> um, and we decided 27 nominees it was too hard for our judges. Yeah, what we do is, you know, we try to look for an, uh, a mix of people from different sectors. Judges have asked for, generally asked for anonymity, and it really is a, you know, I, I mean I think it's good that we do that. It's a small community, and there may be a time when someone has to vote against the book their best friend wrote, you know, and that's hard enough without having to justify it to your best friend. We do allow judges, if they want, to tell people that they are judges, but they can't reveal the names of fellow judges. So, you know, we have done that. Um, we've gone from team of 11 now to a team of 20. And I think that that works really well. Um, we divide the 20 judges up into four teams of five judges each. And then we just start assigning books more or less round, round, round robin as the nominations come in. And we also do some pre-reading sometimes when we're not sure that a book will meet our criteria. You know, every once in a while we'll have a theoretical physics book or something nominated that we don't send to a team. And I guess one of the things that has happened is that over the years, we have had some terrific books that are mostly um, visually oriented, you know, art books, uh, photography collections and things like that. And, We've noticed our judges, you know, our judges' feedback was we can't judge these against the other kind, the other books, the more text-based books and things like that. They're just too different. You know, they're both great, but we can't judge apples and oranges. And so, just two years ago, I approached, um, uh, we approached the IAAA, the International Astronomical Artists Association, and asked them if they would be willing to co-sponsor a book on visual um, book on, on books that are mostly uh, visual. Um, So that we could, you know, honor two different books. And it just so happened that last year we had zero books that were nominated that fit that criterion. So we haven't done that yet, but I'm pretty sure that we'll be doing that this year, bringing in an IAAA (laughs) to judge uh, visual culture books um, so that we'll be giving out two books. Or it could turn out that a visual culture book turns out to be the best book overall. We haven't really decided on how to handle that if that happens.
1: So right, I I'm I'm gonna draw you down even further here. So you've got four teams of five, and they get a load of books assigned to them. Then what happens? How do we
2: get to the winner?
3: We try to make judges be mean. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say? That's the hardest part, John.
2: Yeah, I mean that that's something that we have to introduce the concept of you have to come up with a number one book. And that does require, as Lois said, you're asking people who tend to be a pretty pleasant group to be around, but you're saying, but as Lo said, I'm asking you to be mean. I'm asking you to take someone who may be uh, a favorite author or a personal friend or an acquaintance and, and say that I'm, I'm sorry, but your work doesn't quite measure up to another one. So it really, even though we have a rubric and we have some, let's call them slightly objective criteria, it still comes down to the gut. And so yeah, you're 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 forcing someone to declare what they're most passionate about, and even though we have a uh, an actual process and uh, and, a, and an outline to use and some things to consider, it still comes down to discussions. and And we do ask uh, at, at the end of your review, we need a numerical rating. You know, we we use a, a scale, and we need to, we need you to put we need you to quantify that. And that's hard to
3: do. Yeah. So, so what we do is that each team, each one of these teams, has a team leader, um, and it really is the team leader's responsibility to parcel out the books that are assigned to the team among the members of the team. Um, each team is going to read. They're going to be about. They're going to be about five books uh, per team. Each team member is going to read at least three. Many team members volunteer to read all five that are assigned to the team, and then they rank them. And uh, they write reviews, and they, each one reads the other one's review, and sometimes they'll ask to read a book that they're not, the other people aren't sure about, or if there's a tie. Each group is allowed to send from zero to two books up for the next round of competition. And, you know, it could be with 20 books that one team would say, you know, we read a lot of good books, but we didn't read a great book. Um, you know, we we just really don't feel like we have the winner among these five books. Um, and then they would send up no books. They may have one that they're very enthusiastic about. They may reach a point within the group that there is a tie. We discourage that, but we do allow a group to send up two books if they honestly cannot decide uh, between uh, the books. So we would have normally between four and eight. And, you know, we kind of call them finalists, but we're too small a prize to really sort of give out finalist awards or anything like these. But maybe there are books that we would be looking at for second round consideration. Is that, I think that's a better term than finalists, that these books are gonna receive a second round of consideration. And then it becomes a free fall (laughs) among the judges. (laughs) Um, We we, we leave our team uh, leaders in place to help us decide who gets what book. But any judge then can request to read any book that has made it into that consideration. And about every week after the first round, I start and John starts kind of nagging people for okay, it looks like this book is not getting enough reading. So is it because nobody's interested in it? Is it because, you know, the first round wasn't as enthusiastic? Can we get a couple of people to look at that? And we gradually begin to then say, okay, and we use a scale of one to four. And this book has a lot of twos, but no ones, you know, are we ready to let this one go? And getting the judges to say yes to that is is one of the hardest things to do, you know, it's like, well, can we hold on to it for another week? And I'm going, what's going to happen in a week? You know, the book is not going to change. You're not going to change. You know, the numbers are not going to change. Uh, can, can we do this? Can we move this process along? And that becomes our job. I mean, we become the nagging parents to say, you know, it really looks to us from the, you know, the heights here that these three books are receiving all the attention, all the glowing reviews, all the whatever, if you're not going to vote to eliminate this book, I'm going to ask that you at least read it. You know, we'll, you know, if you're not ready to do this, why aren't you ready? Well, I haven't read it. Well, then read it. <laughs> no, we'll get it to you.
0: It can get frustrating, as John knows.
3: I've you know contacted him at times and saying I'm going to tear my hair out.
0: <laughs> yeah, you've contacted me before and was like I'm never doing this again. <laughs> One year, I swear to God, you actually wrote that in a message. I'm never doing this again. I forgot what year it was, and I was like, oh no, yeah, I don't know what it was over. I don't even remember. Yeah. All I know is you were like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore, and I was like, oh my god.
3: I mean, what well, that actually does bring us to, you know uh, Dave and I talked about this when I when I saw him in England this summer is that we started this as an experiment. you know is this something that the space hipsters community could do that would be of use uh, good to the entire space enthusiast community or to the space hipsters community, right? Is this you know are we helping our authors? It was lovely when Jonathan and Mike's book came out in a paperback edition and you know it's set on the front, you know, winner of the Space Hipsters book prize or things yeah. like that.
0: That is cool. Yeah, I saw that. I was at Kennedy Space Center and I I was at the, you know, the space shop and I saw that and I was like, what? That's yeah. actually yeah. It was it's really neat.
3: I mean, I do think we give our authors something of a signal boost, although I'm not quite sure, you know, how much of a single a signal boost that we give in terms of increased sales. I'm always on there. I don't know if you've noticed me on the on the Space Hipsters, you know, uh, Facebook group, but whenever someone mentions a book, I'll say, oh yeah, that was nominated for our book prize. You know, I say that constantly so that people will say, oh, well, what other good books might be nominated for the, you know, the Space Hipsters book prize and things like that. And I have had a couple of dozen people tell me that they have bought a book or been interested in a book because it won a prize or because of an author chat that we did at the end. You know, I think we had the one, that one year where we had the four authors who had written about women the year that Samantha won where several people who are on the chat told me they bought all four books. Mm-hmm. Um, they just went and bought all four books after the, after meeting the authors. So I think that, you know, it does do that. Um, but it is a really expensive and time consuming it's time-consuming for everybody. It's time-consuming for John and me. It's time-consuming for the judges. It's expensive um, to acquire all the books that we need and ship out the books that we need. So, I mean, there is that kind of constant buzz in the back of my mind about whether this prize is, is valuable to the community as as I, as I would like it to be. And it's, you know, five or six years in, it's, you know you know, those conversations, we have them from time to time. What do you think, Emily?
0: I, I think it certainly is valuable. I'm glad we're doing it. I've, I've supported it since the beginning, mainly because there aren't many any spaceflight book prizes. Like you said, I think there's the uh, Eugene MA award, but that's just one. Mm-hmm. There's not much that rewards like spaceflight literature excellence out there and there's so many books like over the years that I've read you know that are spaceflight books and they're not just good space books. They're just magnificent books, you know, to be I mean, they're great works of literature, you know, and and I look at them and I'm like, why isn't why didn't this win like any kind of, you know, any prize, you know, like a popular book prize? Like there's a few books I've read like that. I'm like, why didn't this get a Pulitzer, Mm -hmm. you know, or something like something like that? Mm -hmm. I think space books are important. I think books in general still matter as we sort of get further into everything being electronic people still like the the feel of the paper they still like that experience that luxe experience of sitting down and reading a book right you know and i think it's cool that we champion that and champion the authors you know there's certainly you know within space hipsters itself there's obviously probably hundreds of incredible writers in there and it's as a writer myself it's really humbling because i there's some people and i'm like man this person is so freaking talented like I would love to write like that. And, you know, and outside of hipsters as well. I'm not sure if Stephen Walker is a space hipster, but I mean, his book is magnificent. So, I mean, I I think it's really important to champion those kind of things. Mm -hmm. This actually leads me to my next question. Nominations are opening soon for the 2022 book prize. I think you said November 15th. Yeah, it's the 2023
3: book prize for books written in 2022.
0: What kinds of books do you think will be nominated this year? You don't have to mention specific books, but you know, what do you guys, what do you you do? (laughs) (laughs) Oh God, Dave is the devil's advocate. I think
3: we can talk about specific books. I mean, I think there's a lot of buzz going around and even as we say, there's a lot of buzz going around about certain books. I I also want to say that some of the books that have won were books that rose to the top that um, there really wasn't a lot of buzz going around, you know, pre-publication, but um, you know, I mean, we every year there are books that people have already read. I mean, you know, that they uh, that uh, it's it's been a long time since January when the first of the books that will be nominated uh, came out, and so you know we we know about those. Um, and uh, I just went over to Collect Space today to actually update something um, about actually about Stephen Walker winning our prize. I never had done that. I just realized. Um, and, um, notice that, you know, they talk about books as they come out. There's five or six there that I hadn't heard about that, you know, will probably be nominated. I mean, we have a nomination process that goes from November to January. So it's a 60 day nomination process. If we get a book toward the, uh, nominated toward the end of that process, and then I contact the publisher, and then we wait two to three weeks to get that you know, it's already into um, mid-March before we even have that book to judges. So we have started this year, this is an experiment with our experienced judges because we have judges coming back for a third or fourth year this year, maybe even a fifth year, I'm not sure. Um, just saying, look, if you read a book this year that you think, you know, should be nominated, like feel free even early on to to uh, nominate it yourself to get, get reading, starting that. So we have five or six books. Would you say, is that how many, John? Or maybe even more?
2: My gut says there were there were eight on that list, but maybe I'm... Eight. Eight.
3: Okay. Yeah. So about eight books already that members of the judging team have said, I have read this book and, you know, if no one else nominates this year, I will. So um, I've already got books into the hands of judges even before the um, official um, uh, nomination period begins.
1: So let's get personal now. What are, away from the prize, what are your favorite space books or your favorite type of space book? Do you have a favorite? Do you like a biography? Do you like a a photo book? Do you like a history book? Do you like a a scientific book? What's your favorite type or favorite book?
2: Being of a particular era, uh, it's a very, it's a very common response as to a favorite. Um, But I would have to say if, 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 if we use the old, what is the only book I could take to, a, uh, to being deserted on, a, on an island? I would take Michael Collins' *Carrying the Fire*. Uh, to me, that is the all-time best book uh, written about the space program, certainly by an astronaut. But I, I would say it's very hard to come off that pinnacle. Now that said, uh, one of the one of the books which has just been released, and it's the uh, *The Apollo uh, Remastered*. It is a, what we called growing up a coffee table book. It is an enormous tome. It probably weighs, you know, 10 kilograms, but it's, uh, it's an utterly brilliant experience. Uh, so again, it's, yes, it's a book in that it's bound and published on paper, and it's completely unlike anything that I have picked up in probably the past dozen years. I would say the chances of it ending up on my top five space books of all time is probably pretty high. But to answer your answer your question a little more depth, yeah, I, I I do have a certain fondness for astronauts' biographies and certainly autobiographies. I would have to say that Al not and Francis French's first book is is also in that top five simply because for me, as much as I love reading about someone who uh, who had adventures in space, you know, if they start out, I always wanted to fly, I go, Oop, I've heard this before. But if they start out, no, I never wanted to fly, I go, ah. So, you know, that's one of the things I loved about how utterly different you've got with these, you know, these are two memoirs and yet they're very, very different. But then again, I go back to something like, okay, the, the payload specialist, the Come Fly With Us uh, book, absolutely did not expect to love this. And yet here's a, a space history that's, uh, you know, quite factually based. I mean, it's like fiercely nonfiction and yet it was a delight to read. So, um, you know, my wife is, is a huge fiction fan. And she's like, gosh, you're just, you never come out of that nonfiction aisle. You know, you're always over there with the histories and things. But that's what I love. So I would say, I would say that certainly a wonderful memoir by someone who's had the experience of space travel is going to be up there for me.
3: If you ask people who read a lot of space books, you know, what's your favorite? It's like, okay, can we disagree that Mike Collins is everybody's favorite and then talk about <laughs> the others? Um, you know, yeah, Because, yeah. I mean. You know, everybody's there. It's like, that's number one and number two and three and four and five. And now, okay, here's my sixth favorite book, you know, because Mike Collins is my top five favorite books right there, (laughs) I mean, for everyone. And so I have some quirky um, biographies that I really like that um, one of of my favorites that I really like that doesn't make other people's uh, list is Scott Carpenter's biography for Spacious Skies.
1: Amazing book.
3: The ending of that book, I won't try to do it, but it is so poignant. It's really well-written. It's a wonderful collaboration with his daughter with whom he had a really kind of difficult relationship because he was in and out of her life. And she kind of chased him down to do the book, you know, to try to establish an adult relationship with her father. And it worked beautifully. So, you know, there's that. So I I love those. Mike Mullane's book makes me laugh out loud every time I read it. But I have to say my very favorite is a book that is I'm a historian, a history book with a lot of moving parts, told really well by the people that write them, and so I love Francis and Collins, the the two books on the Mercury and Gemini program, Into That Silent Sea, and then the the, the Shadow of the Moon. I absolutely adore and um, have to to students. Uh, Andy's, you know, the Man on the Moon book that was the basis for the. I mean, that's that's another classic that everyone talks about. One of my favorites because I learned so much from it, and I. I I just went out and asked a lot more questions afterwards and met fantastic people was Rick Houston's Mission Control book. Mm. You know, I think that's a really, really lovely book. And I'm not going to name any favorites from this year's competition because I think that's probably, I I think we have some really good ones. And I think (laughs) we have some that are generating a lot of buzz. I think we're going to have a smaller pool this year, but I don't think it's going to be easier as any easier to arrive at a, a decision.
1: I agree some great books this year so I guess we'll wait till about April time to find out which one has won so that we can be recommending another book to our listeners of course that's one of the great things about this well, and,
2: and someone I asked you for do you know any good space books you've got a ready-made list that's already been through a Quite healthy evaluation and, and has you know the the endorsement of quite a few people so yeah, yeah absolutely it's been
1: curated so thanks very much for joining us both of you this has been wonderful to hear all about this prize and how it works and I'm sure we'll talk soon actually we will we see sure. each other soon at the cosmosphere yeah, so? yeah. i'm so hey, excited prom <laughs> amazing hello there got a little bit of me
0: plus on
3: the
1: center couch and buzz is doing the
3: camera work this time uh, well, I put on a good time. I
1: know about this ahead of time. Wow, the book prize.
0: I really like the fact that they're. I mean, it it really is a serious book prize. You know, it's not like you know. I'm glad they got that across because you know there's some people out there who are trolls who are very critical of space hipsters. You know, and usually I hate saying this. I'm gonna get crapped on it's because we removed their post or something like that. (laughs) Yeah, You know, they're mad. They're mad because we removed their post or something like that. So there are people out there who can be very critical, but I love the fact that we've established, I think a very credible book prize space literature prize. I'm very proud of that. I would be. And I do, I don't take any credit for it because uh, I I give all the credit to Lois and John and, and the judges, honestly, because I, I'm just the person who pushed the button for the group and, I think Lois asked, you know, hey, can we do a book prize? I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. Go ahead. You know, and mainly because I was always like, man, there's like one space book prize. So if you write a space book, that's it. That's the only prize, you know, and I, I thought that was kind of silly.
1: I think the fact that this comes from from a community as well, I think that that gives it a different weight for a different prize. It ultimately has a different set of criteria than another prize would have.
0: Exactly. You know, I don't know who judges the, uh, I think it's the MA prize. I don't know who judges it, and I'm not passing any judgment on that prize. It's very prestigious, and I know a few people who've won it, which is awesome, but my guess is, you know, probably a a space history community or something like that. You know, people who kind of had that very specific niche, whereas space hipsters, I think, is more, you know, community-based, which... I think is really cool, you know, and I'm very proud of it. It, To me, it's important that it's something that kind of represents, like, the space community at large, I guess. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay. I didn't want to sound like I was crapping on anything. No. no, (laughs) I'm definitely not, you know. I mean, there is a space history prize, but that's more for, like, the aggregate sum of work. It's the Ordway Prize, I think. But that's more for, like, separate space historians who've had work over a series of years and type of but I don't think it's really for space literature specifically but yeah I think a lot of the books that are nominated for the space prize you know and and win the space prize you know to me they don't qualify as just good space books they're great literature
1: yeah yeah I think it's a great thing I so For those people who might want to find out what books have been nominated, there is uh, obviously just, you can search in Space Hipsters and find the the list of of nominations. Uh, But if you just like going on Twitter, uh, there is a Space Hipsters book prize Twitter account, which uh, posts about the books that are nominated with a caption from one of the judges reviews. If you follow that, or you look at that list or you're in Space Hipses and you're looking out for the post for that or you search for the post for that, you'll get an insight into what one of the reviewers or two of the reviewers may have said about each of the books and you get a feel for what's out there. And I think that's the wonderful thing it is for, for someone like me. I've found out about a lot of books which I had no idea existed because of this prize. And and they may not have gone on to win, but books that have been in, an interest to me because of the prize, even before we started doing this podcast where obviously we, we keep our eyes peeled for all books and things like that. And I think that's wonderful. I think for the, for the casual space enthusiast, I think that's a good thing because yeah, you, you often will hear when Buzz has got a new book out or one of the, the big guys has got a, Yeah, one of the big
0: celebrities, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson or something like that. Yeah, exactly.
1: And and they're good books, but often there's some great books that come from people who you haven't heard of. And I think that's what this does. It allows them to have a platform on the same level as those. And I think that's a wonderful thing. Uh, So yeah, Lois and John are doing a great job. uh, And within the show notes, there will be links to those accounts so you can find them. If you're not part of Space Hipsters, consider joining if Facebook's not your thing. That's all right as well. Maybe find that Twitter. Maybe find that Twitter account so you can find out the books. And the, the full video of that interview will be on uh, the, our Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash space and things.
2: Intrepid, we read you loud and clear. And uh, for your info, flipper got a visual on you, and he also picked up Surveyor. <laughs> hey, Andrew,
1: Hey, and where are we? ha <laughs> So, Emily, what caught your eye this week? My answer is really basic this
0: week. Uh, I'm ahead. very excited about Artemis tonight. Um, I'm praying that I can see it from where I'm at tonight. I'm, on, I'm not on the Space Coast. I'm actually on the other side of the coast, on, on the other side of Florida. I live in Pinellas County, so I'm hoping I was going to drive to, like, a local fishing pier and um, that faces the right direction and hopefully I'll be able to view it from here. If not, um, I'll have my phone with me, so at least I'll be able to see it from that. So I'm hoping, praying, that we'll see a launch tonight. That would be really cool. So I I kind of have been pre-gaming a bit. I got in the mood by reading... uh, (laughs) I have talked about this book way too damn much the last few weeks, but I'm just going to mention it again. Uh, I got in the mood by reading some of Apollo Remastered by Andy Saunders, so... Yeah, you did. Yeah, I did. Um, I've talked (laughs) about that book a lot, but uh, it really, yeah. I mean, it's just totally just a mood setter. It really gets you in that vibe of okay, we're gonna go visit the moon. Going back to the moon. Yes, it totally gets you into that mood. So I've been kind of looking at it throughout uh, today. I did go to work, but I have been kind of you know visiting it throughout the day. Like this is so cool. Oh my god, we're gonna do this again. So that's really what's been on my mind this week. And um, I'd like to say by the time this podcast is released, um, if the rocket has launched, it's kind of a a moot point. (laughs) But I'm I'm hoping uh, and praying that NASA have a have a safe and a successful launch. So that's really all I've got this week. So, Dave, what has caught your eye this week?
1: Well, there's, there's been a few things uh, that have caught my eye this week. I think the one that's probably got the most coverage has been the History Channel thing where they've found a big chunk of uh, of the Space Shuttle Challenger, which is pretty crazy. I don't want to talk about that, but it has caught my eye. I, I don't think it couldn't because everyone's been talking about it, right? It's been yes. everywhere. Um, so uh, I, I will put that within the show notes for those who haven't seen it. Go and check that out. Um, but the thing that has caught my eye that I want to talk about is the landing of the Boeing X-37, the sick flight of the... But what I mean, this is the thing, right? This is what I want to talk about it. Because what the hell is it, <laughs> right? So for those of you who don't know, this is like a... It looks like a mini space shuttle orbiter that... The, they put in a payload fairing on a rocket, and it launches. And this thing has been up in space. This is the sixth launch of one of these, and it's been up in space for 908 days. And then it's landed on the runway at Kennedy Space Center. Apparently, there was a big sonic boom at 4:30 a.m. Yes, the other there day. was.
0: There was. I. There was. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but um, it actually woke my it woke my ass up like a. Yeah. I was yeah I forgot I think it was Saturday or Sunday but all I know is like um, I was kind of half asleep for some reason I don't know I may have gone up and gone to the restroom or something I have no idea but I was half asleep and all of a sudden I hear boom boom and I'm like what it wasn't a double boom but it was just the sonic boom and I was like we live not very far from an Air Force base so I was thinking well maybe somebody's just doing joy rides I don't know maybe somebody yeah. somebody's doing something up there Later that day, it was like, oh, yeah, the X-37 has... I was like, there we go. That's what happened. But, yeah, a Sonic Boom surprise. That's what that was. Yeah.
1: Uh, shout out to our chief meme officer Todd for for making sure that I definitely was going to cover this this week because uh, there's lots of speculation about what this what this thing could have been doing up there for 900 days. Now this is a, a a top secret mission for Space Force. It was Air Force when it when it went up, but of course the Space Force has since become a thing and took over the mission. Yeah, it's just a crazy little thing, isn't it? I mean, what is it? What what is it? Yeah, it can't hold a crew. And I don't think it can rendezvous with anything. It can hold up to about five hundred pounds of experiments. I've translated that into your language. Um,
0: that's not a lot. And I, I did, I, thats not a lot, that's not is a it? Lot.
1: And um, it can deliver satellites. It, apparently, the, the orbit path of this one—it couldn't have been used to spy. It was. It wouldn't have gone the right places to to be spying on people yeah. or something like that.
0: I know a little, a very little about surveillance, and usually, like. Satellites that spy, I want to say, are like um, polar orbits, north to south. Whereas this, yeah. I'm guessing, it, it must have been like west to east or something like that. Uh, you know, so it probably couldn't spy over anything. If I'm wrong, somebody please reach out and tell me. I wouldn't mind being corrected. But um, and I think it had a service module on it too, which I'm like, what? What is? Why did it need a service module?
1: Yeah, uh, and that may still be up in space as well. Although they're talking about the fact they're going to be bringing it down safely. But that's still a bit odd. But here's one. So you know how we often mention Jonathan McDowell? He tracks things in space and he's a great astronomer. Yeah, yeah. Okay, he was quoted at some point as saying that the X-37 has been releasing satellites and hasn't reported them as is required by the United Nations. Which is pretty crazy. So I I don't know how he knows this. I haven't looked into it that much, but I'm just aware that there is a quote by him that says that this this thing has been releasing satellites which haven't been reported.
0: Yeah, I'm almost expecting a knock at my door like (laughs) ma'am. This is Carl from the NSA. We're here to talk to you about some things like (sighs) that is very odd that they didn't they weren't reported. That's very if it happened.
1: You have a point. But Jonathan McDowell's normally quite trustworthy. But, you know, if ah, who knows? Who knows? These aren't the
0: satellites you're looking for. It's like Star Wars.
1: Yeah, there it is.
0: It's like Star Wars. This is not what you're looking for. Oh, okay. I, we weren't looking for those satellites. All right.
1: I, I mean, I love the look of this thing. I think it's an amazing little, little craft. But what has it been up there doing for 900 days? That's a long time in yeah. space. To, to be flying. That's around a long time
0: there. to go to the corner store for a a bottle of milk, you know? Nine hundred days. Yeah, like, exactly. what are you doing up there? <laughs> Why did it take so long? You know? Did you lose your wallet yeah. or something? What is going on up there? <laughs> what I love is that in Florida we get the surprise sonic booms from it. Basically un unannounced.
1: I should warn you, right? By by the way, <laughs> this thing's coming back. No, boom. Four thirty in the morning.
0: What the hell was that? Yeah, with a shuttle, you know, if it was scheduled to land at a certain time, it would be, like, right on point. Boom, boom. Okay. That was the space shuttle, you know. And this was just a surprise. I honestly, I was half asleep, and I was like, man, they must be doing something at McDill nearby. And uh, my poor cat, Bandit, for those of you, he's the black and white kitty. He was, like, looking at me like, what the hell was that? And I was like, I, I don't know. I was guessing McDill. Turns out it was the X-37. So, Yeah. yeah.
1: So that's what's been doing. It's been it's been yeah. up there for 900 days, waiting to wake you up at 4:30 a.m. Just one random day. I, you? you know what? Today's a day. I'm gonna stop her getting a lie in. <laughs> it's a weekend. <laughs> nah, she doesn't get a lie in today. Boom.
0: Yeah, and honestly, I did not think it was the X37. My mind honestly went to maybe somebody's doing something at McDill because we have McDill yeah. nearby. You know, we have a few other. Well, we shouldn't be getting any sonic booms from the other airports because they're like passenger. Yeah. T- Reports. <laughs> if we get a sonic boom from those, yeah, there's something very wrong. wrong.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like,
0: something horrible <laughs> has happened,
1: you know. And <laughs> all right, so uh, yeah, that's what's caught, caught my eye this this week. Just a uh, what the hell was it anyway? <laughs> that's it for this week. Uh, so, as we've said a few times, we're a few hours away from Artemis One hopefully by the time this episode comes out we we'll have something to celebrate um but yeah it, it feels odd that we've done this episode and there's a big thing hanging over us that this incredible rocket may have launched for the first time and we we're not going to really have responded to that betwi- before that comes out anyway we'll talk i um, hopefully we'll have something to talk about next week for those of you who are Patreon subscribers of the show, I suggest that you log in and uh, check the, my latest post in there. We've got three interviews coming up, which are pretty special. So if you have any questions, we'd love to know them. Uh, of course, any of you can join at any time. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash space and things. I'm going to be posting quite a lot in there over the next month when i am got my trip in, uh, in the US coming up. And uh, doing some things in aerospace museums so i'll be posting stuff in there if you're interested in that come and join us over on patreon
0: yes and thank you to all for listening uh, and thanks for supporting what we do and thanks for pressing that share button tune in next week to find out all about al warden's corvette but until then don't forget in space no one can hear you me
1: space and things has been brought to you by and
2: things productions